if there's a bad day to come bad day to come to church but uh let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll get started this morning dear heavenly father we thank you for the fact that you have created this world i thank you that you have given us, given to us life physical life that we can enjoy and i thank you of course even more so that you have given us spiritual life through jesus christ and i just uh pray that we would come away from our study this morning loving you more and knowing more about you through the study of your word and i just pray that it would uh, infiltrate our thinking and just uh, that we would live lives that bring you honor and glory by applying the principles that we find that you've revealed to us. I pray that especially that you would give us uh, strength and endurance in these times in which we are living and that we would stay faithful and true to your word that we would understand that we have uh, in the past, there's such a, as Hebrews says, a great cloud of witnesses who have gone uh, before us, who have lived in times that are easily as difficult, if not more so, than what we are living in now. And I just pray that we would take strength from their commitment to you and uh, that we would apply those things to our own lives. I thank you for the book of Proverbs. And the incredible wisdom that is uh, given there, and we just pray that it would uh, edify us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have a few articles to go through this morning. Uh, One of the critiques of a kind of uh, classic dispensational position, which is what we have, we're classical dispensationalists. Uh, One of the attributes of a classical, or, well, I guess it's not a requirement, but a requirement of a consistent literal interpretation of the Bible is that you believe that there is a future Babylon in a place called Babylon, that... uh, Uh, will be the center of the world in the coming tribulation. At least the second half of the tribulation is kind of going to be the world headquarters according to what we learn in Revelation. And so one of the critiques of that position is that, well, Babylon isn't, it's not even a city. It's pretty much deserted. Okay, Saddam Hussein wanted to rebuild parts of that, but he's not around anymore, obviously, and... Yeah, it's just not going to happen. It's got to be something else. It's it's either got to be Rome or it's got to be uh, Mecca or something. There's a number of different viewpoints on what it could be other than a literal Babylon. Well, the fact of the matter is that in today's world, cities can be constructed very quickly and rise to... Uh, very high levels of prominence. And uh, Dubai is one example of that. And here is another example that we have in the news today. Uh, This is an article from 
July 26th of 2022. So it's old news. It's a few months, <laughs> a few months old now. Uh, headline is a 105, 105-mile-long city will snake through the Saudi desert. Is that a good idea? Uh, and this is just kind of introductory to what this city is. Well, the article says, A tall and narrow stripe of a city, more than 105 miles long, teeming with 9 million residents and running entirely on renewable energy. That's the vision of Saudi Arabia's leaders have for the line. That's what it's being called, the line. Part of a giga project that will reshape the kingdom's northwest. Newly revealed design concepts show a futuristic walled city. The entire city exists within these walls. That's a pretty decent rendition of what they have in mind there. Its open interior is enclosed on both sides by a mirrored facade. In other words, you can you go into this thing and you're in it. It's kind of odd city. <laughs> Stretching from the Red Sea eastward toward the desert and into a mountain range. New stats design uh new stats and designs revealed on Monday back in July include it will be only 200 meters wide, so that's about uh n- not even a quarter of a mile. 220 yards, half of a quarter mile. It will rise 500 meters above sea level, higher than the Empire State Building. Residents will be able to run errands with a a five-minute walk. Won't that be nice? There will be no cars or roads. High-speed rail will carry people from end to end in 20 minutes. It will cost hundreds of billions of dollars to build. Construction has already begun. And Saudi projections call for one and a half million people to live in the line by 2030. The unconventional megacity is part of the government's ambitious Neom development project. That's another name you might hear for this city, Neom, N-E-O-M, which released conceptual videos showing the city's high walls enclosed, uh, enclosing trees, gardens, and other plant life, nestling communities among work and recreational structures. So the the Saudis came up with this idea to make a city in the middle of the desert, and it's going to have that kind of mirrored walls. You'll live inside of these mirrored walls, 220 yards wide. I mean, that is from here to the, boy, just past the other side of the library back here, probably. I mean, that's... (laughs) That's very narrow. And 9 million people are supposed to live in this thing, but it is. Uh, so it's very narrow, but it's very long, 105 miles. That's further than from here to Detroit and higher than the Empire State Building the entire way. So it's quite a, quite a project. They're actually thinking of doing this in three different areas. They're going to build a city that is on the water, also by the Red Sea, and they also plan on making one in the mountains in Saudi Arabia so that you can go skiing uh, if you're uh, one of the privileged residents of the line. So that's sort of interesting. And they, they plan on having a million and a half people living inside of this thing in seven years from now. And so uh, that ought to get our attention that, yeah, in fact, you can build an entire city easily inside of a decade. That's not not a problem 
at all from scratch. That's what this is. It's in the middle of the desert. Oh, interestingly, here's another article. Uh, This is from the Gulf Insider. I think the one that's on the screen here is from the Arab News, but it's it's exactly the same article. Uh, This one is just from a couple of weeks ago. Neom's the line to go live fully on AI, artificial intelligence. The line, the flagship development in Saudi Arabia's 500 billion megacity project, Neom, will make use of artificial intelligence technology to the fullest, according to its CEO, Nadim Al-Nassar. While talking at the Global AI Summit on September 13th in Riyadh, Al-Nassar noted that the strategic works and the planning phase of Neom were successful and execution is progressing steadily. They are already building this thing. After finishing the strategies, we moved to the planning year. Converting strategy to planning was not an easy job. That was during the end of 2021. In 2022, we call it the execution mission. Now we have the strategy, the plan, and we have the talents and leadership to execute, said Al-Nassar. Al-Nassar noted that construction at Neom started nine months ago, so it started in January of this year. He said three to four weeks ago, we announced the line. It is a future world that will, li- will go live fully on artificial intelligence. So you will live in this wonderful community in the middle of the desert that it, I've been to Bahrain when I was there. Uh, it was January, I want to say, maybe, boy, now I can't remember. No, it was definitely January, the last time I was there. And it was 115 degrees in the daytime and about 90% humidity. It's probably one of the most miserable <laughs> temperature, temperate-wise places in the world to live. And so this thing, of course, it's going to be uh, climate controlled and just the perfect society for you to live in. And oh, by the way, it's going to be driven totally by artificial intelligence, which means 24 hour constant surveillance of the people who are privileged enough to live there. And it's just going to be full of uh, love and grace and just good feelings, I'm sure. That's sarcastic, in case you didn't realize. Uh, And as evidence of the lack of grace, here's one more quickly uh, that I found. And this one is from the Middle East Eye. September 26th, I think, was the date on this, or 13th, September 13th. Uh, Naom, Saudi Arabia, jails tribesmen for 50 years for rejecting displacement. Something that we don't uh, pay much attention to is that people live in the desert. And oh, by the way, people have lived in this stretch of desert where they're putting up this city for millennia, I'm sure. And uh, Saudi Arabia isn't showing a lot of grace towards those who don't want to leave so that they can build this ridiculous city in the middle of the desert. Uh, two members of the Howie Tot, sorry if I mispronounced that, a tribe in Saudi Arabia forcibly were forcibly displaced to make way for the $500 billion Naom megacity. And they have received lengthy sentences over their protests against the project, a UK-based rights group has reported. Uh, 
Abdullah al-Hawiti and his uh, relative uh, with a different name that's really hard for us to pronounce were both handed a 50-year prison term and 50-year travel ban for supporting their family's refusal to be forcibly evicted from their homes in the Tabuk province of northwestern Saudi Arabia, according to uh, the Alkst, which is a news outlet, I think. The rulings in their cases made by the Specialized Criminal Court of Appeal in August came among a raft of similarly long sentences handed down by Saudi courts this summer. Two women, Selma Al-Shahab, a Leeds University student and mother of two, and Nora Bint Saeed Al-Katani, a mother of five, were given 34 years and 45 years, respectively, over tweets critical of the Saudi government. Osama Khalid, a writer, translator, and computer programmer, was sentenced to 32 years over allegations relating to the right of free speech. Unverified reports have suggested a Saudi court also recently sentenced a third member uh, to the Hawitat tribe to a lengthy sentence. So uh, in order to build their city, they're having to quelch any protest against it and imprison people for 50 years for tweets that go against uh, their plan. This is the world in which we are living. And the same thing, you could think, oh, wow, that's in Saudi Arabia. Everybody knows that they're kind of uh, dictatorial in this sort of thing. Well, there are people being arrested in, uh, and jailed in England for Facebook posts and tweets and all of this. We had one just a few uh, couple weeks ago where we saw the, the man being jailed for tweets and Facebook posts in Russia, uh, and uh, it's hard to see it getting any better in the future in terms of uh, what governments are going to do. So, yes, a city can, in fact, be built in a very short span of time that can be uh, house a world government. That absolutely is, is entirely possible, as is evidence here in Saudi Arabia, and governments will jail. Uh, the, the, later in that article, it talks about uh, protesters being killed. They will jail, kill, uh, whatever, evict, get rid of anybody who stands in their way. Which brings us to the book of Proverbs, which is a wonderful book to tell us how to live in uh, times that, like we are living, how to uh, how to act like a Christian is what we have entitled this. And today we make our way down to Proverbs one verses twenty through thirty three, and we might make it a verse or two into this this morning. I I think I have about uh, enough material for three weeks of this short of a time anyway, that we're teaching. The title this morning is Wisdom is Calling, Will You Answer? Uh, and just like the rest of the book of Proverbs, it's very concerned with that uh, middle phase of our salvation. It's not telling us how to gain eternal life. It's not telling us about our future 
life with God. It's telling us about our daily lives with God and how to uh, live in a way where we are delivered from the power of sin in our lives. And as Christians, we'll even see a little bit of application here as we make our way through this passage of how we are able to do that. We're able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we trust in Christ. But it's not a completely hands-off way of life. We don't just kind of sit back and, oh, well, God hasn't given me deliverance uh, from the sin of lying or uh, whatever your sin is. Uh, And so I'm just going to keep doing it. That's, that is, that is not being sanctified. That, that is a cop-out of course, and not living in obedience to the Lord. No, there is cooperation for us in the Christian life. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, uh, but when the rubber meets the road, we have to submit just the same way as it is with the first phase of our salvation or the the past tense of our salvation is that there is there is a measure of cooperation yes jesus christ has done everything for us on the cross we don't earn our salvation by way of works yes the holy spirit convicts us but the holy spirit isn't giving us faith he's not he's not the one making us saved we still have to trust in what he has done for us. He did all of the work, and now we have to submit to what he has done for us and trust in what he has done for us. The, Christ, the, the Christian life, living, sanctification is very similar. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and we have to submit and trust in uh, what he is doing for us and the provision that he has for our lives. Proverbs shows us kind of what that looks like on a daily basis. And so, of course, written by Solomon, mostly it's a book of poetry written about 950 years or so before Christ. And it's really all about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, as it says in Proverbs 1.7. But then, okay, that all right, got that, but now how do I apply that in various the various situations of life? That's what we will find in Proverbs. And after we got through that introductory material there in the first seven verses, then the last couple times we've looked at this idea of just say no. Again, the idea that we have a choice. We have to make the decision of whether or not we are going to be obedient to the Lord. And we saw the, the role of parents in that. The idea that we have to make this decision ahead of time is a very good idea to go into life prepared for, for life once we leave the four walls of this uh, building here or, the, or our own personal homes that can be like a refuge, at least it's supposed to be a refuge from uh, sin and the world around us. And you got to decide in those times while you're in these places what you're going to do when you leave and then do it once you get out into the world. And then there was some uh, 
in the last few verses there, the folly, the, this folly of ill-gotten gain, one of the easy traps for young men to fall into. That's what Proverbs is primarily geared towards, young, young men, young people. Uh, again, a book of poetry. Solomon is using the medium of poetry. to So in his writing, it's directed to young men, but of course it's applicable to all of us. And the folly of sin in general is a, is a great takeaway. So in verses 20 through 33, we'll see wisdom is calling. We'll have the receivers who are the potential people who can receive this. And then again, that idea of a choice, repentance or rejection. Are you going to accept what wisdom is saying to you or are you going to reject it? And then what are the results uh, of that decision that you make? So we begin with the receivers here in verses 20 through 22 of Proverbs 1. It says, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. So there we see this idea of wisdom, again, being brought to the forefront. And here, uh, Solomon uses the technique of personification. He's making, uh, as he writes, he's portraying wisdom as a woman who is standing in the streets. This is the method of personification, kind of giving life to uh, an inanimate object. Sometimes animals are made to act like people. And in this case, it's, it's just an idea. The, the idea of wisdom is being brought to life here. And here's our, here's our quote from Roy Zook. Uh, about what wisdom is. Wisdom means being skillful and successful in one's relationships and responsibilities, observing and following the Creator's principles of order order in the moral universe. Uh, What a great description of wisdom. It's not just gaining a lot of knowledge about who uh, Christ is or who God is, the various attributes of God and these kinds of things. Yeah, of course, that's all very important, but that's that can just be academic knowledge. I'm sure there are a lot of atheists who know more about the Bible than a lot of Christians do. Uh, it, but that doesn't mean that they're saved or that doesn't mean that they're living wisely and these kinds of things. It's the application of that knowledge to your life to your relationships and responsibilities, Dr. Zook says. Yeah, well, your relationships and your responsibilities, well, that's pretty much your whole life. (laughs) So wisdom is applying these biblical principles to your life. And notice that wisdom calls uh, here in our passage. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. She's on the noisy streets. She's at the entrance to the gates of the city. And again, this wisdom is truth applied to your life. 
And uh, the truth of God is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. That's the, that's the implication of these first two verses here. It's in the street. It's at the gates. It's, it's throughout the entire city. The glory of God is revealed everywhere for us within the creation. And we, to our own detriment, kind of reject that. Like to think that there isn't a God when you see the glory of the creation, like uh, for just for a recent example, uh, Jupiter, I don't know if you've noticed uh, when you're, uh, is it in the morning or is it at sunset? No, I don't remember it. I think it's at sunset that you can see Jupiter now. Yeah, because right, it's way over in the west. When I've been flying in the mornings, it's way over in the west, so it's setting. So uh, at any rate, Jupiter is very close to the earth right now, like very close. If you have a decent set of binoculars and you can hold them steady, you can see Jupiter in the sky. It doesn't just look like a star. It looks like the pictures of Jupiter. And uh, if you have even more powerful magnification, but not necessarily a telescope, you can see the moons around Jupiter. And so it's... uh, this creation, the fact that, the, or that people think that, oh, it just happened. It's just chance. And uh, this is just, isn't it amazing? Isn't chance amazing? Uh, that's sort of ridiculous. God created this world and he is crying out it, throughout all of creation that he exists. And we reject this to our own detriment. As Paul says in Romans chapter 1, Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppressing the fact that, the God, that God created this universe is very foolish indeed. And Paul uh, calls out that, that the wrath of God is revealed against these kinds of, this kind of thinking. Because, and he says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows that there has to be something beyond just this existence. I saw, uh, I think Joe sent me a video of Werner von Braun, a German rocket scientist, basically explaining that it's ridiculous to not think that there is life after death. Because uh, there's no such thing as uh, material just disappearing. And man is the highest, obviously. Everybody would have to admit that, that man is the highest portion, part of creation. So it makes no sense that we would just die and then that would be, that would be it. Uh, because that doesn't happen anywhere else in nature. Uh, so for Paul goes on, he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Uh, We are without excuse when we look around in this world. uh, If we are denying that there is a God, it is so obvious and wisdom here is very is very similar wisdom acting wisely is evident within us 
That's why we get nervous when we do something wrong, if you actually still have a conscience. Anyway, uh, you don't have a settled feeling when you're doing something wrong. God put that inside of you. We all, we all have that, unless, literally, unless we have some sort of mental uh, deficiency or some sort of mental problem. And so wisdom is calling out here. So uh, one of the questions, before we even get too much further into this, uh, the question comes up of, well, when I read this, it seems like wisdom, well, wisdom is God. Is that exactly an accurate way to look at this? Is this God literally calling out to us in the streets? And I, I think that is just is a little bit off track. It's not completely... Uh, out in left field. Some uh, scholars will say that, that Solomon is writing here about God. But I think it's more accurate to say that it's kind of, that it is representative of God's truth, of truth and the application of truth calling out in the streets. And when the dividing line between God and truth is, is very narrow. And sometimes it's so narrow that it's kind of like blurred, like well, God is truth. The word of God is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. So yes, there is a meshing together, which is one of these kind of uh, deep philosophical concepts that, are, that might be too heavy for a Sunday morning uh, before we've had our too much coffee or something. But at any rate, yeah, so is this speaking of God, uh, kind of, in a way, because it, it, God is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. And he, and he does call out to us uh, in creation, in his word, of course, through other believers, of course, he calls out to us, and even our own, our own hearts. Uh, the eternity is in our hearts, according to the scriptures. That's God. Uh, calling out to us. And so here Solomon said there's basically three types of people that are hearing wisdom call out in the midst of this poem. And that doesn't mean that everybody fits into one of these categories, but it's just kind of three broad categories of people, three reactions to wisdom calling out in most of these, uh, if not all of them are negative. So three ways to negatively react to God and God's wisdom. Verse 22, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? So this is the type of person who just believes everything. They're kind of uh, simple-minded. They don't have what we would call discernment. and they can't, another, you could just kind of fit into the category of just not really caring, just not paying attention to uh, things that are going on around you. You're just kind of going through life. Oh, look at the puffy clouds. Isn't it, isn't the world a great place? And that would, it doesn't mean that you lack intelligence. It just means that you're not kind of focused on really the dangers of the world and the dangers of, of sin, and you're not understanding uh, the ramifications of it. 
Proverbs 14, 15 says, the naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. So another attribute of the naive is just to kind of believe everything that comes down down the pike. So when you show up to your local church and suddenly uh, the pulpit is gone and it's replaced with... uh, drum set and you know these kinds of things that wow oh that's great isn't this just fantastic uh they obviously know i don't know anything what do i know i don't care uh and that's kind of the naive person who doesn't do any sort of critical thinking about things that are going on in the world oh russia invaded ukraine uh, CNN is telling me that I I should be on the side of Ukraine. Oh, I'm on the side of Ukraine. Ukraine is great. Uh, you're for kind of, or not even for, you're just being directed into whatever the current thing is. I'm not making a stand on Russia versus Ukraine. Just pointing out the the way that the media and the world will manipulate people towards whatever they want you to think, whether it's LGBT, whether it's Black Lives Matter, Ukraine, all fits into that uh, category of people just being led down the primrose path. And uh, you're sort of being naive if you're just taking all of this information in hook, line, and sinker and just going with what you see on the internet or what you're seeing uh, in the news. You're being led to, to think those things, and that is naive if you're not doing any sort of uh, critical thinking in those areas. Next, there's the scoffer in verse 22. It says, and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. This is the kind of person who is the know-it-all. Uh, I already know all these things. I don't need to hear. I don't, I don't even need to hear this. Uh, Proverbs 21, 24, prod, haughty, scoffer are his names, who acts with insolent pride. So this idea of just scoffing at wisdom, scoffing at the truth of God, and thinking that you know, I know best how to live my life. I don't need anybody telling me, I don't need my parents telling me how to live. I certainly don't need a pastor telling me what to do and how to live. I know what's best for me. I don't, even, I don't need this Bible. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. That is the, the definition of this, of the scoffer, this kind of, of person who is out there. That, and that is a, a possible reaction uh, to the wisdom of God. And these people uh, will be this kind of attitude will be prevalent in the end times. And I think we see that uh, if we just, if we're willing to, to look around uh, in the world. Second Peter 3.3, 3, Peter says, know this first of all. Know this first of all, he says. I love it when the Bible gives us cl- uh, clues about things that we should pay attention to, like phrases like, know this first of all. In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And he goes on to say, uh, talking about the second coming of Christ. Ah, 
We don't have to worry about that. People have been saying that Jesus is coming again at any moment for 2,000 years now. Come on. Let's just, go, let's just enjoy the ride. Let's uh, follow after our own lusts rather than listening to wisdom, listening to truth, and applying it to our lives. That is the scoffer. I don't, I don't really even need God. I have all the answers myself. And then finally, there is the fool. And fools hate knowledge. Now again, none of these positions, very, very, very <laughs> uh, intellectually intelligent people can fall into any one of these categories. Just because you're naive doesn't mean you're dumb. To, uh, <laughs> and just because you're foolish certainly doesn't mean that you lack intelligence. None of these have anything to do with our intellect, our IQ, our, uh, the grades we get in school, or, or anything along those lines. Uh, you can fall into one of these categories, uh, whatever, whatever your intelligence is. But they hate knowledge. They hate knowledge from God would be a, a good way to put that. And th there are a myriad of atheists who fit into this category, like maybe even all of them. Maybe you can fit into more than one category at a time, which I think is, is true. You can be foolish in some areas. You could be a scoffer. Uh, when it comes to eternal life and these kinds of things, you could definitely be a, a scoffer. I think that's a pretty... Uh, common area to be a scoffer. Oh, okay. Well, prove, prove that there's eternal life. Prove that there's life after death. I don't buy it. I know better. I know better than, the, than what the Bible says. I know better than what the creator of the universe says. Kind of dangerous. That's kind of, they're kind of both scoffing and foolish. <laughs> and you can just be naive and not think about these kinds of things. I just don't want to think about the fact that we've been printing trillions of dollars and everything is great. I still have my paycheck. It's all going to be great. It's all fine. Uh, that's a naive way of looking at things. But the foolish are definitely humanistic. They're definitely trusting in themselves more than they are trusting in God. And that goes right along again with Romans chapter 1 where we see the foolish described in detail here, this idea of rejecting God, rejecting the creation of God, and the implications that come along with that is very foolish. Where he, uh, Paul says, Romans 1, 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, they, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then that passage goes on to say how this just leads to just complete debauchery. And that, that, is, that is exactly where we find ourselves in this world in which we are living today, uh, this country in which we are living today. We fit very nicely into that 
final category of being foolish. Just uh, hating knowledge, hating wisdom from the Bible. Uh, we could even know that it's there. And uh, yeah, I used to believe that stuff when I was in high school. But now, you know, oh, I've, I'm so much more mature now. <laughs> and you're living in complete debauchery. That's uh, a very good proof of the truth that we see here in the book of Proverbs when it talks about who the foolish are and what the result of that in Romans we see in those following verses, 24 and on what happens when we hate knowledge, we reject the truth. It invariably leads to a life that is not glorifying to the Lord. And so unless we are naive in our thinking as a Christian today, we have to understand that even as a believer, you can fall into any one of these categories, all three of these categories at various times in your life. And in fact, if you're living in sin, you well, you are. <laughs> you are living in what, as one of those categories. You're, you're scoffing at God. Uh, if you are living in this kind of sin, yeah, it's all fine. I know what the result of this is going to be. Or it, you're just naive. You're not paying attention to the sin that is around you. Or you're just acting in outright rebellion to God as, as the fool does. So although this is directed towards essentially towards unbelievers, uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, it's actually directed towards believers. Uh, that's what Paul uh, or Solomon is writing about. Verse eight, hear my son, your father's instruction. So may the Lord help us to not be naive uh, in this world, may he help us to not scoff at him and the truth that is in his word, think that we know more than he does about eternal life and eternal things, and especially help us to not hate the knowledge that he is revealed to us in his word. So we did make it through uh, half of what I wanted to talk about in the first part, uh, and we'll get to the rest next time. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is so evident in the world around us. And may we as believers in you be faithful to the truth. I thank you for Jesus Christ and the salvation he made possible for us on the cross. I thank you that he is standing at your right hand now as our intercessor, which means that we can go to him and ask for forgiveness for our sins when we do fall short of your standard, when we do scoff at the truth, when we, we are naive of the truth or we're just hating the truth. I just uh, thank you that we can have forgiveness for that and that you will certainly forgive us because you are righteous and just. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, go with us in these days to come, help us to be wise in how we live our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.